This podcast is part of the Garnet Media Group Podcast Network. Garnet Media Group is a partnership between the student-run media outlets at the University of South Carolina. Find out more about Garnet Media Group's podcasts and other student work on garnetmedia.org. Poppin' y'all, I'm Zoe. I'm Reed. And this is Culture, Culture Jam. Jam. Let's go. <laughs> so I was just gonna start off this episode. Uh wanted to talk a little bit about what I've been listening to recently after our Harry Styles premiere. I have let go of my Harry Styles affection and ob- obsession since then, and I'm back onto my normal regularly scheduled listening with Tosh Sultana an up-and-coming uh, indie artist a lot of really interesting music a lot of really interesting music videos too to accompany those if you enjoy that kind of thing I would highly suggest that what have you been listening to Zoe recently I haven't really been listening to anything specific I recently picked up the bass guitar I'm trying to learn and so what a lot of I've been listening to is like kind of bass heavy stuff like I googled I don't know I like googled most iconic bass lines of all time. And then I like made a Spotify playlist and I'm mostly been listening <laughs> to that, which is, cool, okay. which is cool. What else do you, uh, what else do you play? I used to play the saxophone for a long time, but I kind of dropped it a couple years ago. Okay. I tried to pick up just a uh, electric guitar at one point, but I used to play the cello for four or five years. That was a wild time. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. I played I played violin for one year in third grade and then I switched to saxophone because it was shiny and it had a lot of buttons. There we go. That's the that's the the real spice to follow for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, on the note of bass guitars, that's my that's my segue here to get into this. We are going to be talking about uh, the Beatles today and the Beatles in relation to boy band culture, uh, them being kind of one of the first to start that idea of a boy band and and how that developed over the years with other influences as well. Yeah, and then after we talk about that, we have an interview coming up with a local artist who goes to USC. His name is Cooper Smithson. Stay tuned for that part for sure. But until then, the Beatles. So they they started uh, 1960, 1957, I think was the exact year. 1960, right around then. They've been like hailed as the beginning, the first boy band influencer, uh, the first boy band, I guess, uh, stereotypical kind of boy band, the first group to really solidify that idea. Uh, And so I was just looking into that a little bit and looking at the the timeline of closer groups to them and looking at the Jackson 5, actually, what came up when I was was doing this reading, uh, it was kind of interesting to think about boy bands today Feel like are more thought of as with everyone all the the three members contributing to the to the image contributing to the idea of it contributing to singing also uh isn't exactly unheard of and i'd say it's even more so the norm than it is not but the jackson five were actually the first group to to sing to, where all members of the band sang uh with the beatles being the first boy band but really only having their their lead vocalist and the rest of them only committing to the instruments they played so that was just a interesting thought that came up with the Beatles being the first but also the Jackson 5 kind of playing a bigger role in defining what the image of it was what it would be for the next like 40 50 years of boy bands 
Yeah, that's definitely a big difference between the Beatles who kind of like started out the the boy band craze and then the bands that we think of now, like, you know, One Direction, Backstreet Boys and things like that is the Beatles, you know, they played their own instruments and they kind of had their own thing. And they all sang at one point or another, but it was definitely like primarily John and Paul. And then like every once in a while, you know, George and Ringo would have their songs where they sang or, you know, they wrote the song. But nowadays the boy band image is kind of very different in that it's much more common, like you said, to have like all the members singing and they kind of sing at the same time and like harmonies and all that kind of thing is Mm -hmm. a big, a big factor, a big aspect of that type of pop music. Yeah, so that was the thing is bands like One Direction now is that's kind of what you think of when you think of a boy band and they they don't play instruments. They all just sing. And that's a big part of it now is they all sing together. They all have their different vocal parts and they dance. And so that's kind of what a boy band is now, which is interesting when you look at the Beatles and they really did start that whole idea, but like they look, their whole dynamic was completely different than boy bands now. Which is funny because then you think about them like, what really is a boy band? Mm-hmm. If you know, if you're gonna lump the Beatles and One Direction into a group, like, how do you really define that? Let me let me hop in here. I was gonna say it's really interesting, yeah, to to, to lump the Beatles in with like One Direction, with it being so different. It's funny that people would say, or that like the consensus is that the Beatles were the 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 first boy band. When there are those stark differences, when the Jackson Five for instance, resembles much more closely today, just on like the the image of it, right? With mm-hmm. who else contributing and what roles, I would say the Jackson 5 is much closer to, to One Direction than the Beatles is. Not like the style, but like the style, if that makes sense, if you're, if you're following me there. I think the big thing that really ties them together, the Beatles to these modern boy bands that we think of is the content of the music and the intention, especially in their first couple albums. Like they really started out with just these really fairly simple love songs. Um, Those were those, their breakthrough hits. And eventually like over the the 10 years or so that they were a band, they evolved more into mature content. Um, They get really conceptual with Sgt. Pepper and eventually they start talking about revolution death and drugs and starting families and growing older and all that big boy stuff. But in the beginning, it's very teen oriented, which I think is the big boy band thing. It was very catered to young women and young people in general. Like, I want to hold your hand is kind of their breakthrough single and their first big hit in the United States. It's a very simple song. It's literally just like, I want to hold your hand. And that's kind of how they become so popular is they appeal to that young audience. And they sing these simple love songs to girls and they go crazy for it. But then kind of on the flip side is there's also like a bit of a sexual side to it. Like songs like Please Please Me and A Hard Day's Night start to add a sexual undertone to the music that is appealing to teens, which was kind of different at the time because this was, you know, the early 60s, the end of the 50s. Pulling into much more of like a, what's the word? I didn't want to go to like counterculture, uh, but just mm-hmm. not what would be looked at fondly uh, by the working generation, the anyone over 20, 25, really. So it's funny that they rose as much as they did with that. Yeah, and a big part of like Beatlemania and why it was so important was 
like in the couple of decades leading up to the 60s, American girls had figures like Elvis Presley, male musicians to kind of break through specifically to the youth and especially females. And there's a sense of rebellion against parents and more traditional music and dancing and just social norms in general. But prior to the Beatles, that was mostly in the United States. And, you know, finally some time passes and the Beatles come and they become this first sexual figure for the young women of the UK. And like you were talking about countercultures, this was all happening at the beginning of the major sexual revolution of the 60s, 70s and 80s when contraception and homosexuality, pornography and all these things that were traditionally very much outside of the norm are now coming closer to the forefront of society. And of course, at the same time, the second wave of feminism is kind of coinciding with all this. So what you end up with is all these newly sexually liberated young women. And so when this group of cute young boys comes along and starts singing these cute little love songs about how much they love girls and so on, then that all culminates in Beatlemania, you know, and all these thousands of girls screaming and crying and fainting and just all around obsessing over this band to the point that the Beatles actually eventually ended up quitting touring because it was just too much trying to deal with the crowds and they became a studio only band. But what we would call now like a fandom, this was kind of the first time that you really saw that in music. You know, Lennon's infamous quote about uh, how the Beatles had become more popular than Jesus. But now yeah. you see it fairly often with, you know, bands like One Direction. Yeah, Jonas Brothers too. And you got all the believers growing up with that all going on and not understanding the crowds that those concerts attracted, but <laughs> definitely missed out on being a believer in the day. That's the thing is, I don't know, when I was growing up, all my friends were believers. and Were you not? I was one of those girls that was like, oh, I'm different than the other girls. Like, if they like it, then I'm too cool for it. But <laughs> nowadays, you know, I can appreciate a, a 1D song every once in a while, but it definitely, I got to see how powerful the the boy band thing was on my female peers. I think a big part of the boy band thing is really marketing and how it is aimed so much towards teenage girls. And I think the Beatles were the first ones to really show like how powerful that can be and how now we know and that all really kind of started with the Beatles and they you know a little bit with like Elvis Presley and stuff like that. But the Beatles really showed how powerful that audience could be in growing a band or really anything. Like the Beatles, when they became popular, there was a show created called The Monkees. And The Monkees was basically like a spoof of the Beatles, but in a television show. And they eventually even that became so popular that they became like their own real life band and, you know, they sold music and stuff. So I think a big part of the boy band thing that especially Kate started with the Beatles was just realizing how powerful young girls are in the mainstream market of music and just culture in general. I think that point, the bringing up the, the monkeys, I think that's a, that's a really funny idea that this, this group brought up to like mimic and satiricize almost the uh, the Beatles and it just followed the same it followed their track it followed their formula for how they became who they were they become their own band I, I really appreciate that I think it's funny in the case of the Beatles 
I feel like there's a certain almost misogyny in music fans. Like, I feel like if something is like really popular with young people, especially young girls, it's often considered to be sort of silly or not worth a real music fan's time and stuff like that. But I think it's funny because, you know, this all just kind of goes to show how ridiculous that is because the Beatles are now considered one of, one of, if not the greatest band of all time. And that all really started with just a bunch of screaming teenagers. You've also got Nixon taking office right at the end of the 60s. He was going in to start the the war on drugs and to, 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 to restore culture. And so there was that whole counter counterculture movement trying to do all of this to, to criminalize marijuana, to criminalize and to enforce the criminalization of a lot of these illicit substances. That's happening at the beginning of the 70s and that carries on for some time. And then boy band and boy band culture disappears also with the Jackson 5, for the most part, disappears with the Jackson 5 after the Beatles. And aren't, there aren't any new new players in the field until the 80s. Yeah, and then, you know, mid to late 80s, the new kids on the block come around, and especially in the 90s, the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC really explode. And Backstreet Boys. Backstreet, back, all right. <laughs> 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 and with the, the second wave of boy, the second big wave of boy bands, they established a little bit of a different precedent than, you know, the Jackson 5 and the Beatles and the Monkees and the Osmonds, like we were saying, because before they were a little more musically well-rounded. They all played their own instruments and some of them may have sang, but for the most part, it was, it was still just, it was an actual band complete with, you know, guitar, drums, bass. When this uh, wave comes around, this set of boy bands, it's, that disappears really. Now it's much more focused on dancing and looking pretty and these crazy music videos and showing off and it's much more performative Hmm. than it was before. And that starts a new precedent because then you see much more of that in the modern wave of, you know, One Direction and boy band cultures like K-pop, like BTS and that kind of stuff. They definitely have Mm. that same sort of fandom nowadays absolutely i hadn't even like thought of that yeah for sure i think that's kind of one of the biggest things is and i think social media especially now is a big part of it that's continued on and i think the main thing now is maybe like k-pop i don't know a lot of k-pop bands so i'm just going to talk about bts whenever i reference (laughs) something but as different as like bts and the beatles would seem i think you can definitely draw a lot of parallels there like i was saying with the the fandom culture kind of and how young girls like obsess over them so much. And so there's this thing that like choosing your favorite and kind of creating stories around them and watching videos about them. And I think you really can draw a parallel to the deals with that because they were kind of the first group or one of the first groups where they didn't have like a distinct front man. And I think that's an important thing with boy bands is, you know, in bands like the Rolling Stones or Led Zeppelin, the whole image was maybe more focused on just the lead singer because that's who it was all about. But with bands like the Beatles, it was a little more uneven. I think people were a little more focused on Paul and John, but for the most part, like you were still focused on kind of every member. They were a little more in the spotlight equally. 
Like, I feel like even now, if you meet someone that meets the Beatles, one of your first questions is, oh, who's your favorite Beatle? Oh, mine's John, mine's Ringo, whatever. And mm-hmm. you see that same kind of thing happening now where it's like, oh, who's your favorite One Direction member? Oh, I love Harry. Oh my gosh, no, Zayn is so much cuter. And um, that, all, that all relates back to the Beatles. And like I was saying with K-pop, you know, who's your bias and stuff like that. So it all kind of, it all kind of lines up, even though it may seem, may seem different. Yeah. Interesting also bringing up K-pop and that, that comparison and just, you know, uh, calling it out for it being the, the continuation of uh, the boy band and the boy band culture, because also, and I guess I'll preface this a little bit, right? So I have not given my, my due time to K-pop. <laughs> However, I do remember the names from the uh, YouTube trending pages. I see different competitions going on, right? But the you've got uh, BTS for a K-pop boy band group, but also there were a lot of, uh, at least a wide variety of K-pop all girl groups as well. Yeah. Which I feel like is something interesting because we haven't, there wasn't, much of that at all in mass mainstream like not at the level that Backstreet Boys or One Direction or Jonas Brothers or any of them were in the in the past and so to see that rising up too is yes there was maybe groups like um I think maybe in the 90s when the the boy band explosion there were maybe a couple of girl groups like TLC or um Mm -hmm. the Spice Girls but it's a very very different connotation that girl groups have from boy groups because I feel like the fans when it comes to like boy boy bands they're much more erratic than you know maybe the fans of girl groups because I feel like I don't know I feel like I really do feel like young women really dominate a lot of the audience of mainstream culture and so when you see like girl groups then you see maybe a part of yourself in them but when you see like boy bands, it's like, oh, cute boys, like that's much more channeling your sexuality. But mm-hmm. then now you even have groups like Five Seconds of Summer and Brockhampton that possibly fall under the boy group, uh, possibly fall under the boy band label, but then kind of put a different spin on it. Like I know Five Seconds of Summer, there was a little bit of debate over whether they were really a boy band because they play their own instruments. But then it's like, well, you look at the Jackson 5, you look at the Beatles, it's like, well, they they played their instruments too. But I would still classify them as a boy band more because, like I was saying, kind of the marketing towards young women. And I feel like that's a big aspect of what decides a boy band. And something like Brockhampton. Brockhampton's kind of more ironic about it, though. They call themselves a boy band, but I don't think anybody actually considers them a boy band because they're a little more... I don't know, they're more artistic, they're more edgy, and I don't know, they rap, and they just don't really fit the whole, like, pretty boy, like, boy band image, but I think, in general, there's, it's become more and more difficult to really define what a boy band even is, which is why I think people might disagree whether the Beatles really were a boy band, and I don't know, like, maybe they are, maybe they aren't, but I think it's fairly inarguable at this point that they were, at the very least, the precursor to the modern boy band. On the note of boy bands and boy band groups, there's one band here in Columbia, South Carolina with just one boy in it, Cooper Smithson. One of his songs is coming up and then a uh, exclusive one-on-one interview with him. 
stay tuned. I'm naive, hoping I will end up being by your side. Because you said no one's before, and I doubt you'll change your mind. For me. For me. One of us has to go. Though which one I don't know. Maybe someday we'll Welcome back, y'all. You just heard a clip from Cooper Smithson's song, One of Us. Cooper is a freshman here at USC, born and raised in South Carolina. He released his most recent album, Hear Me Out, last year in May 2020, and that's available on Spotify and iTunes. Welcome to the show, Cooper. Thanks. It's great to be here. Great to have you. Today on the show, Reed and I talked a little bit about the Beatles and how they were kind of like the first boy band. If I know anything about you, it's that you were a, quite a Beatles fan. Oh, I love the Beatles. They are my top inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely hear that in some of your music. You want to give me a top three Beatles songs to start out the interview? I would love to. So um, obviously, I like upbeat Beatles music. Um, I mean, the slow stuff is good, too. But my favorite three songs are The Night Before um, from their Help album. That was nice. the first song I really like heard and really enjoyed by the Beatles. Um, and then Paperback Writer, uh, that was a single from, I think, 65 or 6. Um, and I really like the song Here, There, and Everywhere, which is uh, a, a slower, you know, more dramatic song by Paul. It's a love song. It's a silly love song. <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot. They're all really nice. And they're all written by Paul. So I think I have, I think I'm a Paul fan more than I am a Beatles fan, but. I definitely, in listening to your music, I definitely hear your Beatles influence. And especially, I also hear some, a lot of Beach Boys when I listen to it on songs like Delightful and stuff like that. Oh, definitely. There, yeah. Was that, well, yeah, that, so that was intentional, I guess. Oh, and, 100%. Um, oh, I love the Beach Boys. Um, their thick, like, really tight harmonies are something that's really inspired me. Queen also, um, like their mm -hmm. tight harmonies, they layer a lot of their vocals two or three times. Um, and that really gives it, a huge sound so a lot of the harmony stuff comes from the Beach Boys and Queen. Yeah I definitely got that vibe. Is there anyone else that you know you draw a lot of inspiration from when you're writing music? Uh, definitely um, Simon and Garfunkel uh, with my folk my more of like the you know more acoustic songs that I have on the album mm -hmm. um, or the the first album Me and My Guitar that I released. Um, those Those songs are more acoustic and you know turned toward in like my emotions rather than like a girl yeah you know? so those are more Simon and Garfunkel-esque I also really like uh Billy Joel he's a big inspiration because of course I play piano as my main instrument and uh I've learned a lot of like chord shapes and how to transition um from different ideas from like at a roadblock I can use Billy Joel and say what what should I do Mr. Joel and <laughs> pretty much tells me what to do. I love that. Uh, we recently were talking about Simon and Garfunkel and the Beatles and a little bit about how the album cover can really shape kind of the sound of an album or the other way around and the relationship between those. Did you think about that at all when you were considering the Hear Me Out cover? Like, do you think that the cover reflects the content or what was the story behind it? 
I definitely think that. Um, on the Hear Me Out album, uh, it's uh, very so. When I when I see the world, I see it very bright. I see it very vividly, and um, I think the covers or the the colors in the cover of Hear Me Out are vivid, but they have this black layer on top of them that's hard to like. It's hard for the colors to jump out at you, and that really comes out as a, a metaphor for the end of the road. I mean, there's a sign that said road ends. So mm-hmm. it's it's because of the, it was the last year of high school. Um, I was starting something new, but I didn't know what. So I didn't know where I was going, um, what I was going to do with my life. You know, it was, it was scary. The road was ending, um, especially with the pandemic. That was a, a big thing. I was worried about that. It was, it was re- really a, uh, a representation of how I was feeling during the time. And a lot of the songs you can tell. So I think the songs have the colors in the album. Like I, I see the reds and the blues and the greens and the browns in the songs that I had written for that album. And and I wrote those songs over the course of like four years. So there was no one single mindset that I had um, when writing all those songs, unlike me and my guitar, where I did. Um, I wrote all those songs within the span of four or five months. But um, the colors of the cover of Hear Me Out really speak to the songs. And what we were talking about uh, the other day was the fact that one of my favorite Simon and Garfunkel albums, Bookends, is black and white on the cover. The songs have this black and white feeling to them. And I don't know if that's because I saw the cover first or because I hear that in the songs. Either way, they make me see those colors. I think that's definitely the point of the album. Right. And um, we were also talking about Sgt. Pepper. And obviously, yeah. as a Beatles fan, I know Sgt. Pepper like the back of my hand. And all <laughs> those songs are so colorful. And just like the cover of the album, like the, the oranges, the purples, the pinks, the blues, they really pop out. And so I think the cover is super important to really convey what the artist is wanting the listener not only to hear, but to see. Yeah, for sure. You talked a little bit about... Um how the first album, Me and My Guitar, you wrote that in sort of a more specific mindset because it was within a couple of months, but Hear Me Out was more of a long-term songwriting process. Do you feel like between the two albums, you feel like more connected to one or the other or feel like one is more representative of you as an artist or as a person? I I would have to say that Me and My Guitar is more representative of me as a person um, because any song I write is about me, right? Any song is about Cooper Smithson. Yeah. But they're mostly about the feelings that I have. And me and my guitar has a more intimate feeling to it because they're feelings that have come from within rather than other people giving them to me. I don't know if that makes sense. But yeah. Um, in Hear Me Out, there are a lot of songs about other people. Um about things they've done to me, about things that I want them to do. But in me and my guitar, it's a lot of thoughts. It's a lot of feelings about the future, like abstract ideas. And I think it also helps that there's a lot of, there's a lack of instrumentation compared to Hear Me Out on mm-hmm. me and my guitar, because it really is just that. It's me and my guitar. So I think that really helps with the the intimacy of it. Yeah, it's a lot more inwardly focused. So in the past year or so you like a lot of people have probably gone through a lot of you know big life changes with the pandemic and finishing high school and starting college how do you feel like all these events have impacted your creative process and your relationship with your music has it brought you 
you know, closer to that side of yourself? Has it been maybe the opposite? Have you become more distance? Um, I'd have to say I've become a lot closer with my music from a lyrical standpoint. I am like flashing back to the times that I was writing me and my guitar, that album, because at college, I don't have a baby grand at like I do at my house to sit mm-hmm. down and play my piano. So I have to bring I had I, I brought my guitar. And that was it. And it's I also have a roommate. So I can't play anytime I want. So I sit down and I think about lyrics, I think about what I want them to say. I think about what I want them to feel like, you know, that's, that's a big part. That's a big step, I think, in my songwriting that I really needed right now. Because I was having a lull after Hear Me Out. It was like, that's four years of work, like all coming to something. And now what, right? Getting back to the songwriting aspect of it instead of the recording aspect of it. The pandemic has helped a little bit in the songwriting because it's, it's made me not have as many things to do. Obviously, there's been a lot more free time. But um, I would like to play for people. And I was uh, actually starting to play a little more in the beginning of 2020, um, like January, February, I was getting out there doing a little bit, but that stopped. And um, I think there are def- definitely more deserving people um, for live performances right now uh, than I, because I don't think, I, I think I have other things to focus on and I'll keep releasing albums on Spotify. It's been really great talking to you, Cooper. Thanks for coming on the show. I'm really looking forward to any work you put out in the future. Thank you, Zoe. I'm Zoe. I'm Reed. And this was Culture Culture Jam. Jam.